Hello everyone, welcome back to Let's Take a Moment and I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I came across a really cool graphic by someone called Siobhan McHale. Um, it's quite a recent one. Now, it was just illustrative because it talked about uh, why people resist change. Now, mainly t tailored towards the workplace, but I thought it was something really interesting to, to talk to you about because it really did make things clear to me in, in a way that graphics can also, you know, can literally illustrate things in a really clear way. And I thought I would share it with you this morning and talk about it. So just to end this first part, because I like to, to get you to think before I give sort of an overview. And this, a lot of this has been uh, motivated by this, this really good graphic by Siobhan. So well done to her. I don't know her. Um, it just popped up on me, uh, LinkedIn timeline. I'm very glad that it did. What I want you to think about is what are the um, resist, exactly how do you resist change if you do? Are you someone who's very open to it? So we're going to talk about change generally, and then we're going to go through some of these uh, barriers towards it, why people resist change, because a lot of them did speak to me. And it's, like I say, mainly tailored towards the workplace maybe, but we can certainly use some of this in our in our sort of day-to-day -day lives, because I have... I have felt some of this. I recognise a lot of these in my day-to-day -day life. And it's also interesting for me to think about doing this podcast in terms of the things that I'm promoting you to do and maybe some of the things that I haven't articulated it in, in this way. But maybe I'm aware of some of these without having actually said them in terms of what we have to combat in order to reach a point where we can change things and, and be motivated and also be inspired by that change as well. So the question for you in this short break is, how do you resist change or have you resisted change? And if so, maybe you'll recognise some of these when we, when we go through them. So back in one moment. Siobhan's graphic highlights 12 specific things that are all interrelated. So the only way that I can create order in this, rather than just read them all out, is that each time I'm going to mention one of these, I'm just going to have to give you sort of a narrative and then keep mentioning when I've hit one of these factors. And I'm going to talk about our personal lives and I'm going to talk about professional things, maybe from the perspective of implementing change or facing it as a worker. Um, and I'm not lecturing anyone here on how to run companies or organisations. I think I'm just speaking as someone who has been uh, the recipient of having to change. I think we all have, you know, particularly if you've worked in a place for a while. One of the inevitabilities, but can be frustrations actually, is that you'll have your work routine, your workload, and things will change. People will leave you then get given additional responsibilities or somebody comes in and they have a, a particular way of working. They have instilled authority over you because of the hierarchy in the organisation to which you have to react and, and live with, with the change. And I guess that's the first one is that we have to deal with change that's forced upon us, forced change. Um, and this is an interesting point because a lot of these things are talking about what you might feel if change happens. But actually... Things like perceived threat, too much uncertainty. You can face that 
because change is forced upon you. So it's not so much that you resist the change or are worried about it. It's actually that it gets forced upon you. And that reaction, that negativity that you hold inside you can be can be secret and can just fester away. And a lot of it doesn't even have to be real. A lot of it's just a worry about something that that might happen. There's another one here, diminished power. Now that can be literal. Like if the work comes up to you and says, we're taking duties away from you. I've worked with a colleague in the past who, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I worked with a colleague in the past who said, you know, they wanted to get rid of me. They being the organization's principals. And they took away all my work. So I had no work. So I pretty much had to look around because I, I could see what was coming, right? Now, actually, it never came. It never actually happened where they sat down and said to this person, it's not actually at the job I'm currently at, just in case anyone's wondering. Um, you know, this perception was what's going to happen next. Too much uncertainty, that's another one. A loss of control is another one. And of course, they're just interrelated, aren't they? Um, a poor communication. If that put, you know, on both sides, did the organization do anything to make this person feel secure? Did the person go to them and say, I need to have a chat? Now, perhaps they had a climate of mistrust. That's another one. Um, in terms of, did they believe that if they sat down for this conversation, that that conversation would be candid, would be honest, would be able to say, right, we're not really sure on certain things, we have problems, bring it to a head. But it's very easy in a in a professional sense and in a personal sense for these types of difficult conversations to be to, to be avoided. And that's where poor communication, which is also on the list, can come in. In that either through design or through just not wanting to quite face or not feeling the time's right. And that's a, a loss of control. And that can be on both sides as well. If a I can understand I've never had this situation, but I can understand that if a worker comes up and says, right. I'm bringing something to a head here. Let's talk. Is it as a, you know, you have as the, you know, you have that organisational authority to say no. It's going to be done on my terms, and you can implement that forced change or refusal to to engage at that stage. But that can leave a, a climate of mistrust, concern for either yourself or co-workers and that poor communication arguably mismanagement and that's on the list as well but that's an interesting one but that can lead to that sense of distrust and that sense of uncertainty and that can lead to a threatened job security which is another one you but that's perception um the one about mismanagement that's an interesting one because how you manage two different people how you manage yourself in any situation a lot of whether it was mismanaged is a subjective opinion and also based on hindsight. You know, we're always taking decisions where there's unknown outcomes. We can predict them, but we never, in most cases, we never truly know. Um, and again, this moves into another one of these uh, resistance change factors, which is unclear benefits. It's impossible to... And this is where, though the, that's related to attachment to old ways as well. Unclear benefits is that if I say to you, you know, right, we're, we're, we're going to change something, we're going to implement something. Now, a lot of this, I'm, I think this, because a lot of this graphic was designed 
for the professional workplace, you're going to have to work with me here in how you apply that to your personal life because not all of these are immediately obvious. So you threaten job security clearly isn't, you know, it has a personal effect, but it's related to your professional life. We can get attached to our own ways because of a, a fear of failure, another factor. Perceived threats. And we've talked about that a lot. Like a lot of these are perceptions because it's our feelings in our head. When I look back at stress at work, I can't really attribute a, a statistic to this, but I would guess at least 50% of my stress at work has been about things that never happened. And I think that's way short, actually, of what the true figure is. You know, if I go on about, say, like stressing my current job about someone being unpleasant to me, it's probably played out only a couple of times. And a lot of that was scenario, like uncertain scenarios like technology not working or, or something happening. And most of the time, nobody's been really nasty to me in the way that I've maybe been worried about it. Um, arguably never in some cases. Unpleasant situations have played out. But well, that's mostly to do with clients and the client, you know, profession, the service provider client relationship. And that can often be, be tricky. But a lot of it's, again, worried about what my colleagues might think of it or what it might look like for me or what it might mean for a, you know, future promotion or, or, or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so that's another one is that threatened job security can be an interesting one because you may well be right is worth saying as well. Like there can be professional changes that are implemented where you do have diminished power, where you're facing threatened job security. Um, or you might find this is one that's, that's, I think is quite an interesting one, is that another one here that's written down is concern for co-workers. Every other one is to do with us, ourselves. But concern for co-workers or colleagues can lead to a resistance to change. And an example of this might be if you're offered a really good promotion and you're really happy about it and you say, wow, you know, I've been working for this for a while. I'm being recognised by my colleagues. I'm seen as a, a want to watch or whatever, you know, that whatever that means. Um, you feel happy that you're getting somewhere, that you're building good relationships. But actually, when you get promoted, three of your colleagues are going to lose their jobs. And they say, what do you think about that? Well, that might cause you to resist change because as much as you want to advance personally, you don't want your three colleagues who you work closely with to lose their jobs. And there's always a, a Machiavellian element here where you think, well, in the hard-nosed game of life, we're, we're going to say, I wish you all the best, well, we'll have a pint soon. I'm going for that promotion. In reality, though, it's not out of the question, I think, for, for most of us, and I put myself in this group as well, that you might not say, well, okay, let's let's discuss this. I would like my promotion, but I really don't want to see three of my colleagues get get the sack. Is there anything that we can do here? And until the the the, the change is forced upon you, that you you can resist it. Um, just going back to the, and obviously that'll play out at that point. You know, either forcing the change upon you, at which point you've then got the plausible deniability. So I do sense a. An element of politics creeping in there where you're almost saying, I tried, I tried. Um, and then just ultimately say, you know, it's out of my hands. It's a decision that's taken elsewhere. This may well be true, but it doesn't make that conversation any easier. So I do think there's an element of self-protection there when I, when I outline a, a potential strategy to deal with that situation. But going back to the false change one, because that's an interesting one. 
because I think that a lot of the times you don't resist it. You don't resist the change in that scenario. You just worry about it. It builds that climate of mistrust. So it's almost forced change as a has a consequence of some of these resistance factors. Or I think a lot of these resistance factors can be can be actually concerns. So too much uncertainty, diminished power, concern for co-workers, a climate of mistrust, pure you know, work overload. They're all perceptions. Because if I'm talking about work overload, in theory, if you get the work done, it's not an overload. It's just a lot of work. And I think more and more these days, that high level of intensity that you face as a as a co-worker that you do, as a business, and this is like very superficial and not taking into account the, the, the actual reality that people leave if you overdo it. Um you want to get the most out of your workers from a productivity perspective and you have to push them over what they might consider their comfort zone. For instance, from a value perspective, it's costing you to have the employee there and then people are the biggest cost to a business. If you look at the wage bill for any business, that's pretty much normally the biggest cost. And you want the benefit. You want the whatever you're paying them to do, you want more of it. So if you have an employee who can do 10 documents a week of whatever you have to produce and you have two other colleagues who can only do two, well, you're not going to feel as positive about the colleagues who have two documents a week than you do about the person who can whack out 10 or 20 or whatever. But at the same time, there becomes a, a pinch point where the stress builds up and the these worries start to kick in. And it's a very, very difficult thing to manage. And I don't ever shirk from the fact that I perhaps am not devastated that I don't have to deal with stuff like that. And it's actually a weird thing that as you progress in your career, it's no coincidence that the bigger money is found in the management of people. It's when you have to be a team leader or you have to be someone who who tries to make your team more productive that's where the money gets paid that's where you earn good money when you can do that because that's the hardest thing for a company is how do you get the most out of your workforce whilst keeping them motivated whilst reducing the the threat of job security so for example if you say um right everyone you're on the block this week have you ever watched that really good speech by alec baldwin in um glenn gary glenn ross the film and he comes in to motivate his sales force to go out there and make sales of this land packages that they're selling in the film. And he, he basically says, you make a lot of money this week, you win a car, second place gets a set of steak knives, third place is you fired. And there's four of them. And you think, ah, two years going, half the workforce is getting fired. Now, of course, are they happy to hear that? No, not at all, because they don't like the threatened job security. They don't like the forced change. They don't like the potentially mismanagement of coming in and saying, you know, and one of the lines is, if you don't sell, you'll be shining my shoes. Um, that's not, you know, a great thing. And there's one of the graphics here is a, is a curtailed freedom where there's a, a silhouette of a little clip art character behind some bars. And the, percep- the perception of that would be that if you feel curtailed freedom, you also feel loss of control. And you also feel a perceived threat. So all those three bad things, threat and job security. And it's interesting that 
if you work through these, a lot of mistrust falls to it. You could actually group maybe half of them together into a concern or a worry. Now, we have those in our personal lives as well, of course, on many things. And anything, it's worth saying that anything that you worry about at work gets taken home in reality. I love that thing where when people all say to you quite bullishly in some cases, when it comes to 5.30, I clock off and I don't think about it till the next day. I promise you they do. I think in almost every case, we always take it home. Now, if they're, if they're able to control the amount of bandwidth that they give to these the types of concerns, good luck to them. But I know that, for example, I have been known to be sitting at my computer sort of playing a game or something in, in the evening or doing whatever, and I turn around and I write down a few to-do listings on my board. So I've got it for the next day. Now, that's not necessarily, that's not working. It's just something that comes into my head and I think, right, I need to remember to do that tomorrow. I write it down and I try and let it go. But sometimes my brain will just sort of work through what I might have to do. Where do I find that file? Is it in that folder? Who do I need to call? What would happen if I didn't do it right? What would so-and-so say? Yeah, that would be really bad. And then they might fire me. And then and then I can go off down this little rabbit hole of a, of a what-ifery that never happens, but it takes up a certain amount of time. And the brain, I find the brain wanders. And if you have a particularly active, agile brain, I'm not saying I'm particularly intelligent or whatever, but if if you're not somebody who can just completely switch off, then it's hard, but I don't think anybody really does. I think people manage it well, but I think other people take their work home. And I remember talking to my, my brother-in-law about it, and he said, you know, I remember him just sitting... One day we were all just sitting in the lounge. I'd gone down to visit. And it was in the evening. And I just looked across and I saw him sort of daydreaming, kind of. He wasn't asleep. He was just sort of looking into space and you could see the mind was working. And I went, you're thinking about work, aren't you? And he went, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we shouldn't really, because, uh, you know, you live to work. You, you work to live, I can't remember which way around it is, but anyway, the the one that means that you don't give your entire life to your work is, is the best way. But ultimately, it's a big part of your life. You know, it's a it's a massive thing to... We want to avoid the disruption of being rubbish. We want to avoid making errors that bring heat upon us that we don't need. You know, at the end of the day, we want, ideally, work to happen and us not to have too much attention. We don't want to be a burden to the people we work for to the point where they say, God, if this person wasn't here, life would be so much easier. Like, that's obviously the, one of the worst things anyone can think about you. Um, but we all have to deal with things that crop up and transpire through interaction with other people because ultimately they can be the biggest sources of frustration. You know, people can have... They want to do certain things in a certain way and... A lot of the times they shoot the messenger, and I've had that very recently. Um, so I think I'll probably leave it there. Um, the graphic, like I say, was by a by a lady called Siobhan McHale, who who I don't know, um, but I'm very glad that she did post this on LinkedIn. It's a really interesting graphic, and it doesn't half make you think, um, because all of these things do happen. And it's just interesting to note the the role the perception plays in that. And it's a difficult thing to manage because if you're a, even the, the most well-meaning employer in the world, 
And if you have the most well-being employer in the world, some things you can't really discuss. So I'm always, if I had a business, I would always note that, unfortunately, as soon as you put the hierarchy in place, that sense of openness and approachability, it's a risk because if you go up to your boss and say, open up to me, I want to hear all your problems, and your problem is them, <laughs> just out of interest, are you going to tell them? Are they just going to thank you for that and say, oh, well, you know, I'm glad that you hate me, so... Um, not saying I hate anybody myself, but if that you know is that kind of extreme scenario, are you, are you then going to be honest? I, I doubt it, and they can't really expect you to. And and that that dynamic is 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 a tough one, um, because it it doesn't change much. You know, in terms of when we're trying to get people through change, there will come a point in a business where it's a put up or shut up situation. You know, this is what we're doing. We hope you like it. We want you to be happy, but. It's happening. <laughs> and then that's what can lead to people moving on um, or just sitting there not enjoying things, you know. And a lot of the times, I think the hardest thing for any business person, if, if you're paying someone's wages and you go up to them with, with well-meaning intent and you say, this change has come in, how do you feel about it? They're probably just going to tell you it's all right. That doesn't mean that it is. And that's where you've got to be quite subtle about about it and ultimately I think deep down a lot most people don't really want a job you know I think most most people want want to be free um whatever that means and you know a lot of people I remember someone saying to me god if you know if you had loads of money and you didn't work you'd be, you'd be really bored and I said yeah I know I, I probably would be I said to be honest I definitely would be I'd do weird things and I'd fill my time in in a weird way but trust me I would always be aware of the ultimate freedom that I had of why I was bored and I'd find something to do eventually but I wouldn't mind that you know it's a it's a good problem to have because ultimately I know that I would solve it um and it may not and, you know and if someone says you know do you want to keep a job just because you don't want to be bored well hmm, yeah uh, but it's an interesting one about we, we, we could talk about the freedom that money would bring I might well do that in a future podcast. What would the future be like? What would it? How would it be different if we had that money? And if we have the money and we wouldn't spend it, can we therefore live like we've got it? So what we're really saying is, in a bad situation, can we get it? And if you can, even if it's not yours right now, then you've got nothing to worry about. Mm, interesting. So maybe we'll cover that one in the future. So thank you for listening. I hope that was was interesting. I think a good thing to look for, uh, if you search for uh, why people resist change, I imagine this graphic might pop up. It's lots of circles with different colours on it and you'll know it as soon as you see it. Um, and it's just very thought-provoking. And I hope that by sharing it, you are th equally thought-provoked. And I'll leave it there and I'll see you next time.